All right, listen up, spuds. This is Zap Brannigan, master of time, space, and everything else in between. And, uh, oh, yeah, winner of this year's Modesty Award. You're listening to You Suck. What's the difference with Al and Tom? You're one stop for this sort of thing. Yeah. What's up, guys? How's it going? Welcome to You Sucks What's the Difference podcast. I'm Alex Whiteley. Hello, Tom Bruno. No, he's not here today. Um, he's <laughs> <laughs> he's not here, and uh, it's just me and our guest. Um, and I'm very, very happy to bring in this guy because already I've uh, been in two of my favorite franchises on the TV. So I'm very happy to be to be welcoming Mr. John Levine. Thank you. Is it Levine? Is that right? Uh, Levine, 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 Levine. Okay, yeah. okay. John Levine. Thank you for joining us, man. Hey, thanks. Very nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, we were just chatting just backstage just before we went on. I was like, "Yeah, Tom isn't here." He's like, "So I'm representing the US," and I was like, "Yeah, big responsibility. Big responsibility. Huge, but- huge." <laughs> uh, <laughs> where, where is it you hail from originally, John? Uh, I was born in New Jersey. Um, Lived there till I was about uh, seven years old and then moved down to South Florida. So I really grew up in the Fort Lauderdale area of South Florida, uh, which, if you're not familiar, is basically halfway between Miami and West Palm Beach. And okay. um, yeah, and uh, now I've lived uh, kind of bounced around a little bit uh, in my in my uh, after college years and finally settled here in Atlanta, Georgia, where uh, I've been for the last uh, almost six years now. Oh, cool. I was just chatting to um, a guy from Kansas. I just, uh, listeners, I've just, um, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see I'm, I'm a bit burnt. I'm a bit flushed at the moment because I've been out doing um, the Shrewsbury Folk Festival. Um, and I always come, come, country music over here is, is popular, but not as, as like religiously popular over is in America. Sure. Uh, but we have folk music over here and there's sort of similarities. And there's um, a band called uh, Truck Stop. A moon honeymoon truck stop, truck stop honeymoon and i interviewed them and he was like one of the only american acts that they had there because of okay. covid they couldn't bring anybody in from america um and he was like yeah i moved from kansas uh after the hurricane uh katrina uh and i moved to wales and i was like wow a strange thing american to be moved to wales and you can um yeah, yeah. and and it's kind of strange that that uh, Hurricane Katrina affected him in Kansas. Maybe he maybe he started in in Louisiana, moved to Kansas, and then to Wales. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what happened. Uh, and he was like, "Yeah, we moved to Wales," and uh, it was just a nice. I'm going to get him on the show to explain properly because I did like five minutes with him, like, "Ah, oh, the word for the biscuit," you know, shove a microphone in his face. <laughs> <laughs> so you 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 come from New Jersey, you moved around a bit, but where did, what were you doing earlier in your life? Was it all, has it always been acting for you, or has there been little bits for you? Um, it's, it's a, it's a sort of an interesting little story. Uh, so when I was in New Jersey, uh, we, we were in Northern New Jersey, which is literally right across the bridge from New York city. And my parents are from, my mother's from New Jersey. My father's from New York. So, uh, my whole family's really from the Northeast. Um, and when I was about five years old, my uh, parents had a friend who was an agent, a talent agent, and she was over for dinner and I was kind of running around being my sort of normal five-year-old self. And she said to my parents, like, wow, he's, you know, he's very, he's very expressive. He's very precocious. He's funny. Like, you might want to think about, you know, getting him involved in some, like, TV commercials or something like that. So uh, they actually took that advice. They got me some headshots. And I got an agent. And I started – she was my agent. And I started going out and uh, doing TV commercials as a five-, six-, seven-year-old kid. Um and like big national commercials, AT&T, uh, 
Bernard, Sara Lee, wow. Hardy's Hamburgers. Yeah, ma- major brands here in the in the U.S. And you know, I was a kid. I didn't really, you know, I was like, oh, look, I'm on camera. Or, you know, they would say, hey, do this and eat this little thing. And and uh, so I didn't really know, you know, not necessarily what I was doing, but um, how much it really kind of influenced my kind of my perceptions and and what I enjoyed doing. So as a, as we, so like I said, we moved from the Northeast when I was about seven years old, moved down to Florida. And back then there was no TV or film down there. So I just stopped doing it. It wasn't really a big deal. Just, you know, and, but it always, it, it like I said, it influenced me. So I always kind of stuck around the performance space. Like I got into public speaking and I got into student government and I got into uh, radio and, and TV, like TV news and always things that involved cameras, performance, being on stage, being in front of people, um, which I really attribute to that earlier time in my life. And it wasn't until I turned about 40 years old uh, and I was kind of taking stock of my life and, and I was not even in that space. I was uh, working in marketing uh, for a, for a government contractor. And, and I was, um, you know, I was just like, what, you know, what, what, if I could snap my fingers and be one thing, what would it be right now? And the answer to that question was a stand-up comedian. So I said, okay, let's, let's make that happen. So I started doing stand-up comedy and about a year into that, I, uh, I said, you know what? Let's we're doing stand-up comedy. Let's let's start doing some acting again. And that was about six years, you know, almost seven years ago. And here we are. Amazing! And, and so, what a, a thing to stand up. Uh, stand-up comedy is like brutal, isn't it? It's like not only yeah, doggy dog, but it's like you can f- straight up fuck up on stage, and like you'll never forget oh, yeah. it, right? You know, it's it's funny, um, and I don't know why I've been this way like my entire life, but I've never really had a terrible fear of failure. Um, I've always kind of looked at it as part of the process. So I've never been afraid of like falling on my face flat or, you know, doing anything like that. So, and and being, like I said, being on stage was something that I, that I'd kind of done my entire life. So I really fell into stand-up comedy very easily. Uh, and not to say that it's an easy thing to do. It's not, it's extraordinarily hard, but, but, but I, I think the combination of me having the background that I did, my whole family's very funny. My dad's very funny. My mom was very funny. My brother's funny. I was, I was voted funniest of my high school class, my high school senior class. So, I mean, like we're all, we're just, a, you know, kind of quick witted, funny, you know, and, and, and always been that way. Um, so I think the combination of me having this performance background, being funny, not being afraid to fail, I just kind of jumped on stage and, and did it. And, um, you know, I, I believe truly in life, it, you know, confidence is 80% of everything. You know, if you believe you can do it, you can usually do it. So, um, and, and that's, and that's, and I did, I just kind of jumped on and started doing it and, and had some really early success and started, you know, started with just going to open mics and writing jokes and stuff. And then started getting booked on shows and started getting paid to do it. And, um, Ooh. yeah. Maybe I can speak to you after the show then, because, uh, we've got Eddie Pence who's a good friend of our show. Um, Eddie Pence, uh, is so Eddie Pence is the host of the Ramble uh, podcast. He's a he's a, he's a stand-up comic, same as Jerry okay. Rocha. Jerry Rocha has suddenly has recently come down with cancer, and we're doing our our charity event called Pod Aid to raise money for Lincoln Davis, who are a cancer fund. So I said to Eddie, I was like, "Yo, dude, uh, do you fancy doing uh, not fuck you cancer because that's been done, but kind of like because we're sure. doing it for a, a well-respected charity, but kindly would you disappear?" cancer type okay. thing you know so maybe you can get involved with that i mean we're going to do an hour of stand-up but um yeah, I th- uh, yeah. 
Wow. Have you been doing that bit over lockdown? Because I know it's um, we've got a lot of comedian friends that have done a, a few of the, 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 the Zoom room type things. Not- yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you. So, so I was doing, I did stand-up comedy for about five years when I was in South Florida, really oh, okay. religiously, like gr- grinding and doing all that kind of stuff. And then when I moved to Atlanta, I was still trying to do, so I moved to Atlanta specifically for acting um i mean this is really now the hub in in the southeast and almost the united states of tv film production so um and when i was in florida the acting was very secondary and then when i moved here it became very primary and i tried to do both um tried to kind of grind and do the stand-up comedy and do the acting and it really was very difficult i mean stand-up comedy is very late nights it's very going to bars at two o'clock in the morning telling jokes to an empty room you know which is all part of it and it's great and it's you know but but it was really starting to affect my next day when I had to go to acting class and, and do auditions and go to callbacks. And so I really had to make a choice. So I don't do stand up comedy too much anymore. Every now and again, I'll, I still like to write jokes. So I'll hop out to a, an open mic and do some jokes, but uh, it's not certainly uh, something I used to do as re- I do as religiously as I used to. So very wise. I think it's very wise because I mean, how does it make you feel when you're on set, when you're on set and you're doing what you love to do? How do you feel inside? Amazing. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's an incredible experience that not only, I mean, I'm getting to do what I love, you know, I, I, you know, people, I, I get a question a lot of, uh, you know, um, you know, I want to, you know, I want to become an actor. Like, how do I become an actor? And, 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 and the very first thing I say is you have to love this enough to want to be, to, to want to do it for free for the rest of your life. Like you have, that's, that's the passion that you have to have for this, because if you're getting into this for the money, it's not that there's a million other things you can do that you'll have a much, be much more successful. if Money is your, is your goal. You really have to love to do this. Um, so just being on a set and, and where you've been trusted enough by the people in charge to bring to life what they want brought to life is a, is an amazing um, feeling inside. There's no doubt. It's it's actually funny. I was on set yesterday. I was shooting a, a TV commercial here in Atlanta, and um, it was a, a car commercial. and And I was doing some stuff in the car, and they were moving the camera around and blah blah blah. And the director was shouting to me to do all these different things. So we we did it, and and I. I you know, they were like, okay, great. That was, you know, thanks, John. And I, I get off and the director, you know, grabs me and he's like, Hey, he's like, that was awesome. And I said, thanks. I said, and I just, you know, want to give you, you know, what, what you need. And he's like, yeah, man. He's like, honestly, he's like, I could, I, he's like, I could tell from the callback, you just, you knew what you were doing. You loved to do it. Like it was just in you. And I knew I wouldn't have any issues, you know, with you being on set and just him telling me that obviously there's validation there. And you always like to hear that because, it's a kind of a business where you never know if what you're doing is right. You know, you're always, you're doing these auditions and sending them off to casting directors and you don't hear anything back unless you book the role. You don't hear anything back. So it really pissed me it. off. It honestly, like if, if I, I was like, <laughs> yeah, that was the fucking one, man. That was the one absolutely nailed it. And then a, it doesn't get put onto the actual episode or something. They completely can it or you don't hear anything back. I just, that would yeah. drive me crazy. You have to, and that's one of the things you have to be okay with. You have to be, and, and that goes sort of back to the failing part. It's you have to be okay with the rejection of it mm. because this, this business is 98% rejection. Um, you know, the, the busiest year I ever worked was I worked 10 full days, like for the entire year. Okay. Wow. Um, on, on multiple projects, but that year, I think I auditioned for 130 different projects and I booked uh, four of them. So, I mean, you know, I, I don't know the exact math there, but I, you know, I, I, I lost 126 of the 130 that I, that I went out for. 
And that's just what it is. I mean, that's okay. I was, I was thankful to be going out for 130 different projects. And that's what you kind of have to focus on is yeah. the opportunities that you get. Um, yeah. Um, we've, we, we do speak to a lot of actors. I mean, la- the last episode we did, um, we spoke to Sean Kanan. Um, oh, he, yeah. got his, uh, he got his, his big rolling Karate Kid part three, and um, he's just done two movies. With Bruce. Anyway, I'm not here to like, ooh, we spoke to another guy. <laughs> but like, we hear these stereotype stories all the time. And like, obviously, Sean has been part of like TV soaps and TV shows and these kind of things. And he was kind of like, and we, we spoke to um, Mo as well. He, he played a part in. Um, and Ted Lasso, and he's saying like, yeah, he could have, like, Mo could have bounced around uh, uh, in Canada and done TV soaps all his life, or he could have gone for the jugular, gone for like, let's go for that big role, and that's what they've decided to go and do. Whether it's later on in life, earlier on in life, do you feel like that's what you've got to do? You can't, you can't get too comfortable. No, no. Listen, you always have to try and level yourself up. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And and um, there's decisions that you have to make in your career kind of personally about what you're willing to do um, because you can kind of fall into these levels where, you know, in the, in the eyes of casting directors where it's like, okay, you know, John is, we're, we're only going to give John these roles where it's, you know, what's called a five and under, which is basically like five lines or less, you know, these kind of little smaller, smaller roles. Um, and, it, you know, there's, there's, there's competing strategies or competing ideas of, of how to kind of break out of that. But one of them is, you know, you just stop accepting those and stop saying, okay, you, you know, you say your agent, I only want to now audition for guest star roles and above, or, you know, whatever, whatever that may be. Um, I don't know if I'm at the stage in my career to make that leap yet. Now I've certainly, I can certainly see, um, the natural progression of, of the roles that I get asked to audition for from when I started to now. So I've started to get asked to audition for guest star roles, for recurring roles on series, for lead roles and pilots, you know, things like that. So just from a, just thank you. So just from a standpoint of, you know, working hard at it and showing that I'm, you know, each audition gets better and better and better and better as I try to just hone my craft that's seen by casting directors that's seen by the people who watch these things that, Oh, you know, we think John's ready to take the next step. And, and, and they'll, they'll test you a little bit. You'll get stuff that they know they're never going to book you for. Like I've seen roles that I've auditioned for that were booked by major stars. And I'm like, Hey, I read for that role. I was never going to get it. They were never even going to consider me for it, but they wanted to see what I could do with it. And that's, and that, that's all they wanted to do. They just want to say, Hey, if we give, if we were to give John this role, what, what, what could he do with it? So they let me audition for it just to see. So, so our auditions are like re- recorded. So, can you use like a um, a recorded audition as as part of your your back catalog? You know, part of your your, your thing. That... No, not really. It's really the only thing you put. Like you're talking about your like your talent reel, like your resume. Reel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this yeah. is what I did for this. I didn't get the part because Sly Stallone was in the room next door. I mean, like, <laughs> like it, it must happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, it, it certainly does. Um, but no, it's you're, really the only things that, that you put on your reel are things that you've actually that have been you know produced oh, okay. and and shown. Yeah, because you know a lot of people forget. Um, you know, and this comes into play with a lot of people who get headshots, especially people who are just starting out. They're always like, oh, what's the first step to becoming an actor? I'm like, the first step is getting professional headshots. And they're like, oh, my, my cousin has a great camera. He takes pictures with us. I said, that's fantastic. I'm sure he takes nice pictures. But the people that are looking at this are professionals and they see this all day long. And they can tell the difference between something that's taken by your cousin with a really nice camera and a professional headshot photographer. 
And mm. that's going to be the make or break moment. And that's the same thing with what you're saying is like the people that are looking at this know a real production versus something that you just auditioned for that was shot in your house. So they would look at that and be like, why are they showing me an audition? You know what I mean? I want to see something that they actually booked that was, you know, and, and the other part of it is doing something in your home and you're like, I'm in my home studio right now, doing something in your home studio with a friend of yours reading lines is a heck of a lot different than being on state, uh, you know, on set and, you know, doing it in front of 75 people with, the, you know, with the clock ticking and having to work up against other actors and, you know, so there, there's a there's a whole nother level to, to that. You know, it's really funny because we speak to, like I said, we like we like movies, right? So we speak to TV producers, we speak to actors, we speak to all that. But like, you know, sometimes I'll come in and I'll be have like fake tattoos drawn all over my face and I'll have all my arms because <laughs> I, I work at a prison. I work at a, a closed prison here in Shrewsbury and I'm one of the actors. And I also go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm really good at this. And it sounds like I'm comparing my life to the life of someone that's actually been on TV and been in the movies. It's not the case, <laughs> but... But there are there are certain things that are certain traits and certain uh, you know um, skills that you can pick up from one another, um, and one of them is um, that I always bring up is when you're auditioning for a role or you nail a part and you have an almost out of body experience and you're watching yourself do it because you've disappeared into the role. Has that ever happened to you? Yes, and, and you know the, the the thing that actually kicked that into understanding for me. Um, I was in an acting class and, and so, so the, the, the sort of the definition of acting is, you know, living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. That's what acting is. Um, it's, you know, you know, acting is being and being is believing type type thing. And, and, um, I've always heard that and I, and I kind of understood what it meant. And, but then I, I was in a, I was in an acting class and I don't remember how we even got on this subject, but, but the acting teacher was like, you ever have a fake argument with somebody in the shower? And I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. All the time. And you're like, yeah, you're, you're literally having that conversation. What the fuck, Donnie? (laughs) That's that's exactly correct. And everybody's done it. And And that's what true acting is. True acting is being in that space where you're not in the shower you're face to face with that person. You're in that, that environment in your imagination and you're living that moment, you know, wherever you are, it doesn't matter that you're on set in front of a whole, you know, you're not really in space, you know, in a space station, uh, you know, trapped, you're where you are in your imagination is in that spot and you just disappear into it. And that's really what brings about, you know, so, you know, good acting, I would say is, is because it's believable. And that's, and that's, and that's what good acting is. It's, it's being truly believable. doesn't matter how big or how small it is, or it's if that character is grounded in truth for that moment. And, um, you know, I, that's the, that's the space I tried to get myself into when I'm working, whether that be auditioning or shooting. I'll never forget that audition. I'll never, ever, ever forget it because, like, it was for a psychopathic butcher. The the wife had thrown out the meat, and I I, I was concerned it was still good, I and mean, she threw it out anyway. And I was going absolutely nuts. I was like, why the fuck did she do that for? I was going absolutely nuts. And by the time I finished, they were sat back in their seats like, yeah, that was that was, that was, that was great. Um, but and you can see you can see the difference in in like a seasoned actor uh, and, and someone that does. You only have to watch NFL and the, the kind of the trailers they put in the middle of a match or something. You know, when you get one of the the NFL stars, be like, "Hey, have you ever drank Gatorade?" You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you can see the difference. Um, well, so it's, it's it, it comes from the difference there is is, and, and we can get a whole conversation about good acting versus bad acting. But you know, when you as as an actor, if you are showing what you're trying, what you're feeling inside to the audience, that's bad acting. Like most, like in real life, the majority of people tried to hide their feelings, not show them outwardly. And it's not interesting to anyone when you're just being spoon fed something where it's like, okay, I get it. Like, yeah, you're sad. You know, you, you want to invest yourself as an audience and, and make that connection. And are they sad? Why are they sad? What's going on inside of their heads? And, and, um, I think that's really the case. So when you say like, a, you know, you get an athlete in the commercial and stuff, it's like, act like you like the product. I love this product. And it's like, yeah, no, that's just terrible. You know, it's like, we know that you don't like that product, you know, because nobody, nobody acts that way. Nobody, you know, you wouldn't. So it, it's, it's a really interesting, you know, dichotomy, this, I guess. It's become like a cliche thing, isn't it? Just act as though you really don't want to be here because people are <laughs> like, hey guys, would you like to buy a Ford Taurus? <laughs> you know, it's great. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, people think that they have to show what they're what they're you know feeling to come across when it's actually you know it's I, I mean, you ever walk into a room and you know with somebody that you know and the first thing they say is is everything okay? Like you didn't say anything, you didn't do anything, you just walked in with a look on your face, and they knew and and they could tell inside that there was something going on. That's what real acting is. It's like you're not you didn't come in going I'm mad, you know, you just came in with an expression. And that led them to make a connection and to wonder and to, you know, and that's, you know, as an actor, that's what you have to kind of, you, you have to, it, you don't want to make the expression. You want to believe that you are upset and then your body kind of takes over and does what it would naturally do if you were upset. Do, 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 do you have any um, emotions that you struggle with? Because, I mean, I could do anger all day. I could do that. I can sure. get in someone's grill. But uh, what, what are the emotions that you kind of struggle with that you have to work extra hard on? Um... I'm not a, I'm really working on my, um, getting very emotional on camera, um, really opening up emotionally. So that's, that's a, that's somewhat of a difficult, I'm, I'm getting better at it, but I'm still, it's still a struggle for me. And really the, you know, one of the things is, is like, um, you know, I, I don't know about you personally, but I mean, I'm a crier. Like if I watch a sad movie or if I'm watching a TV show or something, you know, like I, I get emotional. And I, I, I cried at the Star Wars trailer. I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh my I'm, God. <laughs> I, I mean, I, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan was on TV the other night. And, and when Spock dies at the end, I was crying hysterically, even though I've seen that movie a million times. You know what I mean? Like, and, and this was two nights ago. Um, so, yeah. you know, but, but when it comes to being on camera and all of a sudden having to elicit those emotions, I, I struggle with it. And really where that, a lot of where that comes from is being relaxed and being comfortable and being, cause yeah, you know, yeah. if you start to think about it too much and you think, oh, I have to get there or I have to do this, or I'm waiting for this to happen so that I could, you know, then you start to get into your own head and it's never going to happen. So you have to really, what you have to work on is being sort of at, at peace, at calm and let the emotion, you know, your emotions are there. They'll, they'll, you know, if, if they're allowed to come out, they'll come out. You know, it's, it's really on you to not block them and to just let them, you know, let, let you express yourself basically. Um, yeah. so that's something I'm, I'm certainly working on. Um, you know, they, they, they always say that the, the, the one emotion that an actor can never truly believe the one that you can never do truthfully is surprise because, <laughs> well, right. But, but you have to put that on because if you know, something's coming, then you're truly not surprised. It's like, surprises, yeah, of course, yeah. 
is right is the act of not knowing what's going to happen and and um so you know those are the little things you, you know you work on like that of how to you know which is why which is why that scene in alien with the the, the chest burster coming out was not was was completely improvised right they didn't know right. what was going to happen right um and then with leonardo well, dicaprio the, with the blood on his hand as well oh yeah there's that and uh alan rickman in in die hard when they dropped him from the building uh, <laughs> heard that, that that story he was they had him like he was going to drop like a 10 foot you know and then they were going to you know drop him in this airbag or 30 foot whatever it was and uh they you know had him on the on the thing and and he's like i think it was um who directed brian uh was it brian de palma it doesn't matter and he was like we're gonna we're gonna um drop you on three and then he turned to the stunt guy he goes drop him on one so he was hanging on there like okay you ready one and then he dropped him and his <laughs> face is like and it was true surprise because he thought he was going on three and they went on one and that look on his face which is pure shock i mean it's a beautiful look that they got on camera and it was just slow like, motion as well ultra slow yeah. motion oh yeah <laughs> it's pretty an absolute peach um and you know i guess like it's all down to the director as well like you, you know if a director's kind of like Right, be sad, but be sad like it's a Sunday. You've got wet clothes. Uh, you just want to go go in to get a cup of tea. There's no milk. Um, yeah, the, right. the, you've, your team's lost at football, and, and then you only portray like four of those things in his mind, and he's kind of like, "No, let's do it again." And like, like you said, you got to work hard on this shit, right? So you kind of like, "I got, I just got there, man. I got to do it again." What? You know, it mustn't be easy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and you gotta. It's it's not only do you have to put yourself there, but you have to also remember that it's, it's also not, there's also a level of unbelief. So my, my agent or my agent, my acting coach always would say, you know, you always want one foot out of the pool. You know, um, if you're playing a homicidal maniac, you want to, you want to do that 90%, but you're not a homicidal maniac. You know, you got to kind of remember what's reality and what's not, and to not go all the way, but go most of the way. So Um, you know, and there's, and there's, you know, Lee Strasberg, who's a, a very famous acting teacher, always taught about like using experiences from your own life to reflect in your acting. So using the, the death of your own father to reflect the death of your father on screen and getting emotional about that. And a lot of other acting teachers would think that that's actually very dangerous. Like you shouldn't do that because it's emotionally damaging to yourself. So there's uh, yeah. competing like, you know, theories about what you should use, you know, some say substitution where it's like, okay, you might use the death of your father, but you're putting it on to another character. So it's not, you're not actually thinking about your father, but you're thinking about the emotions that you had, you know, in that scenario, you know, things like that. So there's, I mean, there's a million different ways. <laughs> Please don't sue of, us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, 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 you know, I've, I've got, I'm looking at my bookshelf now and there's all these different acting books on there from all these very famous acting teachers. And I've learned a little bit from every single one of them. Um, and, and things that have helped me throughout my career, and a lot of it's overlapping, but, um, you know, each one has a kind of a little bit of a different take on this is how you should approach things, or this is how you should do things. Or if you, you know, if you're trying to achieve these goals, this is what you should, you know, this is how you should approach it. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, they do say, obviously we were talking about that just, and in fact, um, while the truck stop honeymoon, the band that I mentioned from Kansas earlier, I spoke to Mike West, who's the singer. And we were talking about how, how different you can be, um, outside of what you do and what you love. Right. So I'm saying like, if I'm away from this microphone and I'm walking around a crowd, I can be kind of nervous, 
a little bit anxious. You know, I'm not going to be so, I'm socially awkward, genuinely, in real life. Unless I'm behind the microphone, then I'm like, hey, how's it going? Welcome to the Shoes and Biscuit. Welcome to Yusuk. And he's the same. He was quite a timid guy. He was quite a nice, very well-spoken guy, obviously from Kansas. We had the interview. And he got on stage, and he was a fucking demon, man. He was playing the crowd like crazy. I do find... Are you the same? Are you, are you two different people? Are you acting John Levine and outside of acting John Levine? Um, you know, I'm actually so uh, yes, but the reverse of what of what you just described, and that actually comes from the the roles that I normally get cast or that I've been cast as. So I get cast a lot as like sort of the government employee, the the office drone guy, the really kind of dry, you know, by the book you know, um, mm. you know, the, the, you know, the, uh, robots basically. And I'm quite the opposite in real life. I'm very gregarious and I'm very witty and, and outspoken and talk to strangers on the street and, you know, like all that, kind of, I have no issue, you know, with that at all. So when people do meet me in, you know, real life that they've known things like, they're like, wow, they're like, you're not like your characters at all. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I know I said, it's just weird that it, that's what I get cast for, even though I'm the opposite in real life. So it's because I'm a genius, darling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would say it's cause I'm so, I'm such a good actor. You know, I can really, play, yeah, yeah, really yeah. Tone, tone down my person. Um, but yeah, you know, and listen, I'm certainly not complaining about the roles that I get cast and I'll, I'll, you know, get in where you fit in and I'll take those roles, you know, every day, you know, for the rest of my life. But it, it is, it is quite um, funny that I do get a lot of those roles sent to me in audition for a lot of those roles, even though, you know, I'm, I'm more in like, like the funny best friend than I am the, uh, you know, boring office guy. Yeah, and sometimes sometimes it just takes that one role, doesn't it? That one role, yeah. and you've had you, you've had, you've been in two shows. You know, I'm not going to say you're lucky because, like you were saying, you do like hundred auditions, ridiculous amounts of auditions. So you worked hard for it. So you agree? But um, obviously, there, there's Cobra Kai um, that you were in, and you were the the in, insurance guy. No, the the, the health uh, and safety health guy. Inspector. Yeah, the health inspector. Yep. Yeah. Um, did you realize going into that show the kind of effect that that show was going to have? I mean, bear, bear in mind it was YouTube's launch of doing TV, right? Yep. So it was, it was YouTube. Uh, it was back then. It was called YouTube Red, and then it became YouTube mm-hmm. Premium. And this was one of their first like scripted TV shows that they were doing. And and this was season one. I was in episode t- number two. So. Yeah. It, it was, I, I love the concept of the show. I loved what I had read about the show and what they were doing with it. No idea it was going to become like this worldwide phenomenon. I mean, no idea. I mean, I, I mean, after crazy. I watched the first season, yeah, crazy, crazy. And it was mm. really, and, and it's funny too, because I think today I was, I was on Facebook and it was like, you know, pulls up like oh, a year ago, two years ago. And I think last year today was the day it came out on Netflix. Season one and two debuted. Oh, like the anniversary. Yeah. So I think because all these things were coming up of like, oh, last year, you know, this was happening. And um, that's what really blew it up. I mean, it had a really strong following when it was on YouTube, but it was more of like a cult, you know, not not a ton of people had seen it, but the people that had loved it and talked about it and, you know, had online fan things and, you know, get togethers. And um, but then when it hit uh, YouTube and season one and two dropped on YouTube, it just exploded. I mean, just absolutely exploded. And yeah. they have such Cobra Kai has such a great fan base. I mean, everybody I've met in that fan base is just amazing, uh, and they're so dedicated to the show, and they know everything about it. And I think it's so super awesome that they that they uh, um, are such fans. You know, and it's and it's funny because there's you know young kids. You know, I grew up on the Karate Kid. Like I, I saw the Karate Kid in the theater in 1984, 
and I remember it. I remember seeing Karate Kid two and three and all that kind of stuff. And and then to we've be all done the crane kick, we've all done that shit. Yeah, oh, hundred percent. Yeah, I think actually, I think my I think my brother did it to me when we got home and like like knocked a tooth out of my mouth, like cut my <laughs> gum or something. Like that. My mother was so mad. Um, but uh, you know, to, and then to be a part of it later in life, I mean, it's like crazy to even think about that. Uh, you know, I could be you know involved in something like this, and then to do it, and then it to have the success. That it, it's that it bizarre. Has. It really is yeah. bizarre because because they've they've done spin-offs on movies. They've done that shit to death. You know, they right. did it with the crow, they did it with uh blade, they did it with so many different things from our past and pff, did nothing. You know what I you know what I think I think it I think one of the things that they did, I mean you said you said the word spin-off, and I, I think that's a bit of a mischaracterization because I think it's more a continuation of the story. It is, yeah. It's it's, yeah. it's it's not no no it's it's I mean it's it, I think it's um, and I think that's what people were interested in you know, they're interested in, well, what happened to these people after, you know what I mean? Like we, we, we knew them 30 years ago. What happened to them today? Like, where are they today? And they, I think they did such a great job and also the role reversal. I mean, that first season, I like, remember everybody, <laughs> yeah, up to I was like, was like Johnny's the bad guy and, 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 uh, Daniel's the good guy. And then all of a sudden halfway through that first season, you're like, well, wait a minute. That's that's not the case. Fucking Daniel's a dick. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> he stole the words right out of my mouth. Uh, Daniel Russo is a bit of a dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's. I mean, so it, it's it's. I think that was what was so gripping about it. And then they, I think they quickly pivoted from like the whole nostalgia aspect of it, and and you know to to bring in a whole nother generation. You know, with Sholo and everybody else. You know, that's uh, Sholo, man. Show. He's going yeah, places, yeah. man. He's he going really places. is. He, yeah, he just he just booked the, uh, the Marble. Yeah, the Blue Beetle. So I mean, I think that's uh, that's amazing. And and um, so yeah, so I mean, I think they did such a great job. That whole team did a, such a great job. Um, you know, with the story, and they just got renewed for you know season five is coming. They just announced, which is awesome. And season four is debuting, I think, in a couple of days, or I don't even remember uh, when it is. They'd be it's stupid close. to get off that money train. They'd be so stupid to be oh, like, why, oh, this why is the last it? season." Yeah, yeah. That's good. Well, they do. No, I think stuff out all the time. <laughs> you know, they do. But I think John Hurwitz said, I think he was. I, I, you know, I know him obviously from when I shot, but you know, I follow him on Twitter and Instagram and stuff. And I think he might have said something like, "We want to do twelve seasons or something, you know, something along those lines." And listen, as long as you're, as long as you're making good stuff and the story's still good, and you know, yeah, keep it going. Why, you know, why stop? You know, you, you run the risk obviously of like jumping the shark. You know, that's you. You don't want to. You know, you, yeah. you want to go out on top a little bit, but I, I you know, they're, they're nowhere near anything like that. You know, I think they're really they're doing a, a great job and putting together great stuff. Amazing. And also, uh, for, for people that may not have watched it yet, which if you haven't watched it, what are you doing? Get off it. Stop listening to this. I'll give you license to stop listening to this and go watch it. But <laughs> you are you are now part of the MCU, right? I am. I am. I uh, appeared in Loki, uh, the episodes one and four of the uh, Disney Plus show with uh, in a great scene great scenes as well great scenes like um (laughs) you know you're the office clerk that prints off everything that loki said right and he's like gives you some sass and then it prints off another sheet and you slap it on top i love that so much yeah (laughs) it it was it was really a great i mean working first of all working with tom was amazing i mean he is just an incredibly talented guy and funny and warm and really you know he's he's the exact guy you would think he would be and more 
um, just judging by his on-screen persona, you know. But um, yeah, that scene was great. When I read that scene, I was laughing hysterically. Even when I auditioned for it, I'm like, this, and it's funny when I auditioned for it because it's Marvel. They don't tell you anything. They change all the names of the characters and the script, and you know, it's 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 listed as an untitled Marvel project that you're auditioning for. So you have no idea. Locked and, in a safe inside a safe inside yeah, a safe. <laughs> that's right. And you're signing an NDA, and you have to send them a picture of you signing the NDA, and then a, 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 no, I'm just kidding. But it's like you know, it's it's that you know severe of a you know don't tell anybody um but you don't even know and i always tell people it's like they're like oh we don't want you to reveal any secrets i'm like i don't know any secrets they don't tell you anything you know even when you're on set they give you three pages of what you're supposed to do and that's it they don't give you the whole thing so um but it, it it's uh when i read that that scene i was like this is going to be funny like whatever it is this is this is this is hilarious and then getting on set and doing it with with tom and and you know we we shot probably about three and a half to four minutes of that scene and, and, you know, got chopped down to, you know, a minute and 10 seconds or whatever, whatever it was. But there was so much more to that scene that was even funnier. And it was just, I mean, we just started ad-libbing and he started ad-libbing. So I started ad-libbing and the director was loving it. We started doing all this kind of crazy stuff and it was hilarious. And it was, I, I'm, I'm hoping they released like a extended cut or like a, I hope so too. Thing. We all yeah, we're, 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 I would love to see that. I would just, I would just love to see how the rest of that turned out. Cause it was, it was very, we were all laughing. It was very funny. It was it's the end what they're doing over at Disney Plus is such an interesting thing because when we got to sort of uh, endgame, I have I've been quoted as saying like I think they've done this a bit too much now. We're getting that uh the kind of uh, superhero sort of fatigue now. I think that's the word that was being used. But then they started the MCU TV series with WandaVision and Falcon and Loki, and I was just like, "Give me more!" <laughs> right. I can't believe yeah. what they did. The writing is just top tier, absolute top tier. Um, I bet all your your friends, your your your, your friends that are, are geeks, nerds like me, would be like, "Get me Tom Holland's autograph, get me Chris Hemsworth <laughs> autograph, steal me Captain America's shield." <laughs> did you get better? One hundred percent. It's funny when I booked uh, Loki, and they finally told me kind of what it was. Uh, I was talking to my best friend and his wife and I'm sitting in their house and, and, uh, I said, yeah, I said, you know, they asked me like, and, you know, you have anything coming up? I said, yeah, I said, I actually just booked a, a Marvel show. And his wife says, are you working with my boyfriend? And I'm like, who's your boyfriend? She's like, Chris. I'm like, Evans. She's like, no. I'm like, I'm like Hemsworth. She's like, yes. I said, close, close. And she's, she's like, just so you understand, now I've known this woman for 25 years. She goes, just so you understand, if you're working with Chris Hemsworth and you don't get me on set, you are dead to me. And she was like, <laughs> dead serious. <laughs> I said, well, how do you really feel about that? Like, you know, she's like, I will never speak to you again, ever. She's like, you need to get me on that set. I'm like, <laughs> I said, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll let you know what I can do. But, um, but yeah, no, that, my, my friends are totally into it. And especially, you know, I'm, I'm 48 years old, so all of my colleagues all my contemporaries have kids and their kids now are sort of you know middle school and high school so the fact that uncle john is in the mcu it's like you know blowing their minds in the fact that my my, my uh, nephew who's 16 years old sent me a text the other day in the middle of a school day of a picture and it's and it was my face on a computer screen and he's like my friend is on the marvel wiki right now and found you under the loki thing and i told him i know you and it was, i was like okay i'm like shouldn't you be at school like doing stuff like you know i'm not a parent but am i supposed to be responding to you and he was like that's no, cool it's fine i said okay i don't want to go 
<laughs> that's so beautiful that really is and i bet you you know the, the time time related question so you're you're part of the tv you should know how time travel works uh, dude it was a roll and then four minutes <laughs> yeah it, you know it's the show people are, and they ask me all these well okay well do you remember in uh you know the early 90s with marvel and the loki comics and this and that and i'm like yeah no i'm like i used to read comics when i when i was younger i said but i i you know they 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 kind of tag me as a of a marvel expert even cobra kai like asked me all these questions karate kid and dojos and all this and i'm like ah i'm like i enjoy it i said I, you know it's just something i do you know um but i'm yeah. certainly so thankful to be a part of it and to be a part of the universe you know for absolutely. both shows and be a part of the fan base i mean it's it's incredible I and mean, it's just absolutely incredible yeah I'm, I'm, I'm well done you deserve it man you deserve you work hard i, I don't believe i mean so it was, uh, we've spoken to so many actors both, both successful and that are still trying to make it you know we've spoken to a varied amount of actors and regardless of whether you're making it or whether you're not i believe the work that you guys put into it is just it, you need a, that reward so i'm really happy thank you, genuine, thank you. you know. i appreciate it. i've certainly been fortunate i mean it's it, it's it's you know, there's timing involved. There's, you know, just be, being, I don't, I don't necessarily believe in luck, you know, like blind luck. I, you know, I believe luck is, is timing plus preparedness, you know, when you're ready for an opportunity and it arrives, it's, yeah. it works. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of that. I mean, I, I mean, there's, there's certainly a, a lot of other actors that I know that work just as hard as I do and just haven't had the same opportunities that I have. So I'm very thankful for the ones that I get and, and the ones that I've been able to to, to turn into to projects and things like that. So it's, it's certainly, it's not lost on, on how fortunate uh, I've been in this business in such a short time that I've been doing it. Just keep it up. I mean, uh, have, have you had many more roles that, um, that you're working towards that you can tell us um, about? I mean, uh, I've, I've been auditioning for some stuff. I had a callback for something the other day. So it's just, it's, you know, it's sort of the normal, the normal grind. Like I said, I shot a TV commercial yesterday. So just, just, you know, working, trying to get things, trying to get things going just it's like i said it's it's one of those things where it's you're just constantly doing it and doing it and doing it and hoping something comes out of it and you know you just working on your craft and trying to get better every day and and uh you know trying to make it happen i always wonder when you've signed an nda and you've been on set i mean we've I, my friend brian brian plato he played the um the, the the photo double for death on bill and ted three and uh, there's there's so many okay. times when he couldn't couldn't say anything he couldn't do anything because he had to sign this nda um but then um the, i think one of the one of the stars actually showed a picture of him falling asleep and it was yeah, literally yeah. just deaf asleep on this on this chair it was amazing and i do wonder like you know you've been on set you've done this amazing thing whatever it is you're doing and you you can't share about it on social media you can't talk yeah. to anyone about it you know it must be horrible <laughs> it, it's 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 um it's not easy especially when you do something big and and it's actually funny that you mentioned about about somebody sharing a picture of of him on set because so i appeared in the trailer for loki the second trailer that came out they showed the scene you know the scene that i was in i had no idea i was going to be in the trailer like they don't talk to me about that they don't tell me anything like that um and I had obviously knew that I had shot this. I mean, I shot it last October, November. So the trailer came out in April, maybe, or something. So I'd been sitting on this information. Well, I'd sitting on it since I booked it, which was earlier in the year in February, but the pandemic kind of paused everything. But um, And I was going to play golf uh, in the morning. It was like 8.30 in the morning. And I get into my car, and I put my, my phone up in my car, and the screen lights up. And there's a, a Facebook alert. And it's like... 
Will Watkins, who's a buddy of mine from Florida that now lives in New York City, who we're Facebook friends, you know, we don't know we talk on the phone every day. Will Watkins tagged you uh, in a photo on Facebook. So I'm like, what's Will? Why is he tagging me on Facebook? So I clicked on it, and it's me sitting behind that desk, and it's like, oh my God, John Levine's part of the MCU. And <laughs> I didn't know, I, I, I had no idea the trailer even came out. Well, and, and I, and my first thought was, Oh my God, like it leaked. Like it's something, you know, something happened where it got. What did I do? <laughs> right, exactly. I'm like, oh my God. So I like, I, I like said, I'm like, where did you get this? He's like, dude, the trailer just came out. He's like, you're front and center in this trailer. He's like, when did you do this? I'm like, last year. I, I couldn't tell anybody. But it was at that point that I was like, well, I guess the cat's out of the bag. You know, here I am. Uh, so it was that exact same thing. I'd been sitting on that, you know, for, you know, six months just you know waiting to tell people and then all of a sudden boom the trailer comes out and here i am so we had something similar with pod aid because um the guys at reach that are doing our thing and this isn't me plugging my stuff in the middle of your thing but it's a similar story so <laughs> Why not? so, so uh, the people that are making pod aid reach which i hear they have made our, our branding and our logos and stuff and the name pod aid even right and they were like yeah we can't mention anything yet not on social media nothing like that and not for for weeks weeks i was like oh this 24-hour podcast challenge thing that we're doing and it's horrible like i couldn't even mention the own brand of my own thing that i was making and um i'm part of the hasbro universe as well you can't see that but there's a, a monopoly board there the shrewsbury edition of monopoly and my other podcast the shrewsbury biscuit is actually on oh, that board. Cool. We got our own square. It's on part of the Hasbro universe. Not that's quite awesome. there with John Cena and or wherever it is that's in Buddy G.I. Joe. Um <laughs> but yeah. Um, what what roles would you like to play? Because you say you play the the, the the clerk type characters. Yeah. What, what would be the dream role for you? Dream role. I mean, I, I I'd like to do more comedy stuff, to be honest. Um whether that be kind of sitcom or, you know, film or whatever that be, they don't do a lot of comedies here in Atlanta, which I've noticed. Um, and I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, I, don't, I think, I think they just do a lot of, a lot of TV sitcom stuff in LA still. Um, so they don't shoot a lot of, a lot of that stuff here. So I'm not that exposed to it. I, I would love to do it. Uh, I think that kind of plays to my strengths. Um, but I, you know, like I would also like to play, you know, a little bit more dr dramatic of a role too. I'd like to kind of stretch that way and and play something serious and, um, you know, whatever that may be. I, you know, it's so it's so weird. I don't, you know, I I don't necessarily be like, oh, I'd love to play a killer. Or love to, you know, it's it's I, I do get you know I get roles and they they come by and I'm like, oh, this is really it's interesting to me. You know, it's a, this is oh, this would be interesting to play. You know, there's certain certain characters that I think I I work better in than others. You know, I don't think I really play a good cop. I don't, I don't kind of come off that way as a police officer, you know, it's so I get, I do get like these detective roles and stuff and I do them and I, but I, I, I don't know. I watch them and I'm like, eh, I don't know if that's that believable as a police officer, but now I'm starting to get a lot of dad, dad roles. I'm just starting to look a little bit more my age. So I'm starting to get, uh, you know, in, in that vein, which is, fine by me it's like i said uh you know i i, I love to do John, it we'd like to you to play a 14 year old teenager uh what? <laughs> <laughs> well that's a stretch but you know maybe 15 yeah. maybe 15 yeah. maybe 15 maybe 15 yeah but uh hmm. i, I mean been one, go ahead no, no, I was going to say we could do have a new sitcom, actually. There's like a, ga a huge gaps in the market for sitcoms at the moment. We don't really have anything at the moment, do we, really? Uh, yeah, I don't know if there's anything new that's that's coming out. I mean, it's summertime, so we'll not to see some network stuff until fall, but uh, I'm not sure what's what's on the slate. Uh, We've got no Big Bang out. Theory anymore. We've got, you know, there's not really a lot 
we need a good sitcom and give John a part. Yeah, you know, because, I, I heard yeah. that, uh, I heard that um, uh, Frasier's coming back. They're doing like a or trying to put that back together. Oh gosh, um, Niles, I love that show. Yeah. <laughs> that was so good. Yeah, that's that's such a great show. Such a great show. And I had the opportunity to work with Kelsey Grammer last year, and he's awesome, awesome to work with. Um, and you got to play Dick McDonald, right? The muck of, of McDonald's. How how I was did. that? Yeah, that was. That was fun. That was a really interesting uh, role. That was a, a casting I saw. So there's a um, a, a magazine that used to be like a, a newspaper in New York City called Backstage, and that's where castings used to be released. Like you know, before the age of the internet. Now it's mainly just a website. I don't even think they make the the magazine anymore, the newspaper. But um, I was happened to be on the website, and they had this. It was really cryptic. It was like these roles for like these historical figures from like the anywhere from like the 1800s to the 1950s and you know sort of in my you know white male you know 35 to 45 you know type range so i was just like uh, okay so i, I kind of sent it off and then i get this and and um you know they want me to audition for like a couple different roles so both the mcdonald's brothers they want me to audition for it. i didn't know what i had no idea what project it was for and both mcdonald's brothers and then uh, i think like AJ Hines or something like that, that they wanted me to, the, you know, from Hines ketchup. So I said, okay, so I, I did the auditions and I sent them off. And then all of a sudden they call me and they're like, Hey, you know, we're like, it's like A&E networks. So they're like, yeah, we want to book you on this. And, and, you know, it's wonderful. We're going to fly you back and forth to New York, uh, you know, over the course of a month. And, you know, we're doing all this big period piece and put down, I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, and that's really kind of how it happened. It was like such a, a really random type happenstance that I just happened to see this casting and happened to send in my stuff and, and I booked it and it was a really great role. It was really, you know, it was, it was that show um, that they've now continued. They've got a second season of the food that built America and they've got now the machines that built America and, you know, they've got all these wow. you know, kind of different things and it's, and it's a great series. I mean, it's really well produced. It's really well shot, uh, well-written. And it's so interesting. Like I thought the story was so, I mean, I, a new cursory and you know things about the the history of McDonald's, but I obviously got to know a lot more of it uh, when I did that. Yeah, role, well, so. we did. Um, we do another show on 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 this network called uh, Yelling at Clouds with my good friend Eric Kluger. Um and I'm, I told him one night he's, he's a very intelligent guy, and I'm not right. So he teaches me <laughs> while he teaches the audience. So it's kind of like classes and session type thing. And I, I told him I was like, oh yeah, one night I sat and watched The Founder, which is here. Boom. Michael yep. Keaton, great film. And um, he was like, oh, my God, we could do an episode about that. So we did. And we, we made an episode called Nothing Burger, which is out in a few weeks ago. Yeah. Thank you, brother, to that. And it's, it is a beautiful story because the McDonald's brothers definitely got fleeced. You know, it's interesting. Like, yeah, you watch The Founder and that's how it can't, kind of came off. And, and, you know, you look at the history of it. And, and I, I don't know. I'm not so much on the side of, like, that he took such advantage of them. I mean – they they dictated the terms of the deal of what they wanted for the brand, you know, and, you know, he had to scramble and come up with investors to put the money together because, you know, they wanted, you know, uh, uh, $2 million or, you know, $1.7 million, whatever it was that they, you know, uh, that they wanted for the, which back then was a, a tremendous amount of money. And their kind of thing was they never thought that he could even come up with the money to do it. And then he did. And so they sold it. I mean, they were happy to sell it to him. And, you know, everybody looks at what it is now and goes, oh, well, you know, they had they stayed in, had they done it, you know, they, they could have made all this more money. And I don't know if that's the case. I mean, I don't think they had mm. the same vision that he did. So 
if if he couldn't have come up with that money and they never sold it to him, would McDonald's be McDonald's? I'm not so sure about that. You know, so it, it, it is one of those questions, yeah. And that, this, yeah. that's kind so of what I, we covered I, in that episode. It's kind of like, yeah. Eric is into graphic design and he loves the idea of the golden arches and, you know, the architecture and the, the imagery behind it, you know. Um, it is an interesting one. It is a very interesting one because uh, yeah. the, he did, yeah. We'll have to, you listeners will have to listen back to that episode because it, it really is interesting. It's not out yet, but, you know, Find it when it's out. <laughs> words and stuff, words and stuff. Um, <laughs> so uh, what do you do then? Because like, um, when it comes to auditions, yep. right, we, had, we had Slade Monroe, a young actor who just done 12 Mighty Orphans with Luke Wilson. Um, and, uh, you know, I was like, young actor coming through, you've got to nail these auditions, right? This is your first big role. You've got to go out there and do that. What is the night before an audition like for you do you practice 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 or you're like i'll just nail it it's fine no i i mean it really depends on the role it depends on the gravity of the scene it depends there's a there's a lot of you know so i'll give you two examples so the, i'm shooting an audition today after this this podcast i have to do an audition so a friend of mine's coming over to do an audition and it's a it's a um, I can't tell you what it's for, but it's an extraordinarily well-known entity, let's just say, that's they're putting a show together. Um, and it's something that once it uh, everybody will know what it is. It's not like something that's being introduced. So it's it's interesting, but it's it's a it's a short audition, and it's and it's um, I mean it's probably a, a larger role in the scope of the show, but just the audition itself is fairly short. So I I you know it's I. I looked at it, I kind of, you know, kind of examined the scene and said, okay, this is, I, I kind of have a feel for what they're trying to do and how they want this character to be, or how I think they want this character to be. And, and I'll do it a couple of different ways and send them a couple of different takes, you know, of different, different varying, you know, um, um, you know, emotions or whatever. And that, that's something that's like that. Now, last week or 10 days ago, I did an audition for, there's a new movie that's being produced uh, by Whoopi Goldberg and that she's starring in uh, about Emmett Till, who was a, a teenager that was murdered here in the South in the 1950s. And uh, it's a true story. And two white men were, were acquitted of his murder, even though there was overwhelming evidence that, that they had tortured him and murdered him. It's a horrible story. And it really was the, 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 what led up to the civil rights movement in this country was the murder of Emmett Till. So they're doing a story about, uh, they're doing a movie about that story. So I was auditioning for one of the defense attorneys who were defending these men uh, at this trial. That was six pages of dialogue. It was a courtroom scene. It was set in Mississippi in the South. So there was a lot more preparation that went into something like that from this aspect of the time period, who this person was in real life, uh, the accent that he was speaking in because it was set in Mississippi in the 1950s. So I had to research that accent a little bit. Um, what the, the, the tenor and tone of the scene was going to be as far as me questioning Emmett Till's mother on the stand and how I wanted to come off or how I wanted to make her look. I mean, so there's all of these different aspects that, you know, and then who is this person as, as this attorney who, you know, who are you inside that you would defend these people against, against, you know, the murder of a, of a, you know, trying to prove them innocent against the murder of a young child, but then also remembering the time and where it was, where it was like, well, they didn't look at him as just a young child. They looked at him as nothing, as, as, a, as not even a human being. And so it was almost like, 
you know, being put on trial for, you know, killing a dog, you know, and, and, you know, things that are very emotional and very sad and, and, and you kind of have to put that all into your body and, 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 you know, and then do it and, and obviously get all the dialogue down and get all the, the lines memorized and things like that. Very so there's complicated. A, so, very complicated. Yeah, yeah. When you get into stuff like that, it gets really complex because it's, it's human emotion and, and, you know, there's a, there's a, um, sort of a, a modicum or not a modicum, but a, like a, I guess a theory that, you know, everything that every human being has ever done on this planet from the nicest things to the most horrible atrocities is in every person. You know, you look at these horrible atrocities that are, that are committed by Nazis and genocidal maniacs, things like that. And you have to, those are just people. And, and, and either they think a certain way or, but it's all inside of it. So everybody has that in them to be, you know, if they were put in a similar circumstance, they might've risen to that exact same level because they're not anything special. They're not anything different. It's, they're just human beings that have been put into specific circumstances and certain things have happened to them that have pushed them in these directions and they've justified their being and justified their actions. And um, so as an actor, you have to sort of say, okay, I could be that person. I could be that person that feels it's okay to defend these men against, you know what I mean? And you got to, even though I'm not obviously, and I think it's horrible and I think it's, you know, something that's so atrocious that I, you know, it it makes me sick to think about, but as an actor, you have to say, okay, but I could be that person. And how would that person think? And how would that person act? So, so for something like that, for for an audition like that, that gets, there's a lot more preparation that goes into something like that. I I get, I see that though. I mean, I, I, I play a good bastard. And, but I'm a nice out. I'm, I'm an easygoing guy. Like, but I can play a. Re- I play a real good bastard. Is that me? I, I, I'm a, I like to think actually that bastard is inside me, so I can be like, "Oi, get the fuck out of my way, no bad." Well, like, bet, when but, really, but, I don't but, really but, speak like that. You know. But I bet. But I bet if you were put in the right scenario and pushed, and the right buttons were pushed, you would act like that. Yeah, because probably. it is inside, right, <laughs> and that and and that's what and that's what it is. I mean, everybody, you know, put it like put in the right scenario. Everyone would act, you know, the way you're human, you know, every, every, there's, there's all these sort of basic actions that all human beings have, you know, we all have fear and we all have, you know, uh, a joy and we all have, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And it just depends on, you know, your upbringing and your, your childhood. And, and I mean, everything that you've done prior to this moment is the reason you're acting the way you are today. I mean, the, the reason you act the way you act today is because of every single thing that's happened to you from the second you were born until three seconds ago when I made that statement and me too. And you don't have to think about how you act. That's just who you are. And it's, it's, it's natural for you because that's who you are as a human being. When you're playing a character, all you have are words on a page. So you have to kind of go back and think, okay, why would this person act this way? You know, they are, they're, they're a piece of shit in this, in this scene, but why are they a piece of shit? Why, you know, no one just acts like a piece of shit to act like a piece of shit. They act like a piece of shit because when they were seven years old, their father beat them senselessly for no reason. And that, yeah. you know, or whatever that, you know, whatever those things are, I'm not, you know, but, but that's as an actor, that's the, that's the, the job. I mean, that's what you have to dig into and, and understand and to be uh, truthful about it, to be grounded in the truth of I'm acting this way because of who I am, not because I'm just trying to act that way. So it, it really it kind of explains the whole Heath Ledger thing a lot a lot you know in, in um you know you can understand why Heath Ledger got the way he did playing the Joker because he kind of really went into that role a little bit to try and understand the role and play the role it sent him in dark places right 
Yeah. And, mm. and it's like I said earlier about keeping one foot out of the pool. It's like, because, you know, you, you kind of still have to ground yourself in a little bit yeah, of reality of because you don't, you don't want to get too dark because, you know, listen, everybody has the ability to kind of spiral out of control and, and, you, you know, as an actor, you're going to some really dark places. I mean, especially when you're playing, you know, really horrible people and, you know, you want to put yourself in that mindset, but you don't want to, you don't want to live too much in that mindset, you know, I guess is the, is the way to kind of frame it. I guess that's why Ryan Reynolds is just hilarious. Cause he's just Wade Wilson in real life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a funny guy. I, I love Ryan Reynolds. I think he's brilliant. I think it's amazing. I'm trying to get an interview with him because he's just bought um, the football club from the town I grew oh, yeah. up in, in in North Wales in Wrexham, Wrexham. So he's just he's bought that football club, and there's people like, yeah, I can get you an interview with him. I'm like, get me a fucking interview with Ryan Reynolds, please. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, uh, <laughs> um, John. I know, I know, we're just running out of time now. Um, thank you so much for joining us today and tell us a, a bit about. I'd love to invite you back on too in you know a year's time or whatever. See what you've been up to. You know. Yeah. Listen, really this nice. is my pleasure thanks for so much for having me and i'd love to come back absolutely i know you got to go on audition today i um i wish you the best of luck um what we'll do is i'm going to end the show because uh tom isn't here we've got no later lounge afterwards and i gotta go back to the festival uh to get some more interviews and stuff so um what I'll do is I'll tell you about a few things that's coming up, John, and then we'll get out of here. Um, <laughs> on the 29th of September, we got Pod Aid, guys. I know I tell you every week, but um, at 9 a.m. on the 29th of September, uh, we're going to go live, and we're not going to stop until 9 a.m. on the 30th of September. Wow. Uh, it's it's going to be a 24-hour live streamed on, U- on YouTube, um, and it's called Pod Aid. And we're doing this in order to raise money for a local cancer fund uh, called lingan davis uh, and we have our main sponsors thanks to reach who have done our marketing our logos our social media they've done a great job and we have our venue uh, as displayed here by my son alfie uh, thanks to shrewsbury town and communities reach community hub uh, the, the reason why we're doing this uh, john is to try and encourage other content creators around the world to do something positive for their community so what we're going to do this year is we're going to show you guys how it's done what we do and what kind of positive effects we've had and then next year, we're going to challenge you guys to do do even better with your own projects, whether it's a podcast, a game streaming, and OnlyFans. We don't care if you're doing something <laughs> to better yourself, better your community too. So that's what Pod Aid is all about. Um, and you can find everything you need to find uh, um, about Pod Aid by going to our social media, which is Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you can also go on the Pod Aid uh, face, uh, social media places they've got facebook as well and you can go to our website which is usucknetwork.com and that's powered by our friends at web orchard um and we have of two other shows as part of our network too we have wednesday night live which is 9 p.m uk time every wednesday 4 p.m eastern time and it's a bit like going down the pub with your mates you know we meet up we have a few drinks and we, we chat and we catch up uh we have finally we have yelling at clouds which i mentioned earlier with the great and powerful and very clever mr eric fluger where he will teach us the uh, art he likes to talk about art he's our professor he tells us about things like kinetic art what is kinetic art what makes what moves us and why does it move us the way it does uh, it's very very good oh, breath <laughs> john thank you very much for joining us um and uh, i really do appreciate you coming on the show guys this has been what's the difference podcast uh, thank you to my guest and i've been alex whiteley i'll catch you guys next week peace out Hi, this is Ickis from RL Monsters. And um, I would like very much to ask you, if you don't mind, to watch um, the USAC Network with Tom Bruno and Alex. Quite <laughs>
Oh, that's all. I have to go flush myself now. 